Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, my name is Cole Cabana. I'm a podcaster, but most importantly, I'm a professional wrestler. I know this is an earwolf feed. You guys didn't sign up for any professional wrestling, but let me say something. If you don't think the genre of professional wrestling doesn't mix unbelievably well with a podcasting network based off of comedy, well, then that's your problem. Also, I'm not just a professional wrestler. I'm a comedian. My genre of wrestling is comedic professional wrestling. I'm one of you guys. I've been featured on WTF, Doug Loves Movies, The Chris Gethard Show. Every August, I go to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and I perform a wrestling comedy show. But my background, my true love is wrestling. I've been wrestling going on 18 years now. And although I did have a cup of coffee in the WWE, I pride myself on the independent alternative wrestling scene. I've wrestled in some of the most unconventional places, including the Gathering of the Juggalos, which I have an audio documentary that you can listen to on Howl. But the Pro Wrestling Fringe series isn't about me. It's a storytelling podcast about some of the most bizarre, weird, wacky things that have happened in the world of wrestling. And not mainstream stuff like stories about John Cena or The Rock. I'm presenting to you short post-produced stories like about the time Ted Turner took a failing over seven foot giant from Argentina who couldn't cut it in the NBA and then threw him into his professional wrestling league. Or what about the wrestling promotion in Japan that's subtitled Super Handicapped Professional Wrestling where you can buy a ticket to watch a wrestler with cerebral palsy fight another wrestler who's paralyzed from the waist down. I'll even tell you about the greatest comedian that you've never even heard about. He wasn't a stand-up. He didn't do sketch. He didn't train at the UCB. He was a professional wrestler. Stories like this that you probably have never heard before that you could just listen to on your commute and enjoy. To hear all these stories and the complete archives of my podcast, The Art of Wrestling, sign up at Howell.fm. Use my promo code COLT. Listen for free for a month. You've always heard of the weird community of professional wrestling fans. Well, now you're one of them, and we love having you. Enjoy the stories. Thanks. I'm professional wrestler Colt Cabana. This is Pro Wrestling Fringe, unique stories from a unique genre. I make a living wrestling on the outskirts of televised professional wrestling. I've wrestled at fat camps, dirt patches in India. I've wrestled for the Inuits in the northernmost part of Canada. I've wrestled on the border towns in Mexico, with the Aborigines in Australia, from entertaining the hipsters mixing lucha, burlesque, and cheap beer, to the ICP fans at the Gathering of the Juggalos. I have one of the oddest and most diverse resumes in my profession. The Pro Wrestling Fringe podcast is about sharing the bizarre stories, not that have happened to me, 
but that have been told in the locker rooms and spread from generation to generation. And that's what they are. Stories. Unique stories from a unique genre. On this episode, I put together a story of a guy and a match that I've been fascinated with ever since I heard about it. Directly afterwards, I really wanted to see if I could get a bit deeper, so I contacted Dave Meltzer, who's one of the most knowledgeable journalists in the world of professional wrestling. Considering he was right in the middle of the wrestling world around this time, I figured he was the perfect person to talk to. So now, sit back and enjoy today's story, hand-picked. Even if you're the most casual of viewers of the world of pro wrestling, if you know something, you know about the big, muscly dudes who are always the champion or the main attraction, right? For me, Hulk Hogan, he's the first one that comes to mind. He spent years as the main attraction for the WWF. Six foot six, 300 pounds, golden tan, the skin of a well-cooked hot dog. It was like he was hand-picked. Well, he was. By Vince McMahon, the owner of the WWF, now WWE. The Ultimate Warrior, hand-picked. John Cena, hand-picked. Good-looking, muscles, he-men. These men were he-men. It's almost fun to think of or, or make up a scenario in your own head as to where he actually found these guys. Whether he was in the gym in Venice Beach or even at the Arnold Classic. All we know is that they were hand-picked. Put on TV, rose to superstardom, and they became a part of the zeitgeist. They became part of pop culture. They became part of America. They were and are Americana. Well, I'm not here to talk about any of those guys. Their stories have been told. We know about those guys. I want to talk about the chosen one who, uh, well, didn't quite make the cut. Tom McGee. Who? Exactly. In an era of Jean-Claude Van Damme, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Steven Seagal, Tom was the ultimate package. He was a Canadian powerlifting champion, a black belt in karate. Crazy enough, though, McGee was said to be most impressive, though, in gymnastics. Think of that combination. Exactly what you're looking for in your next hand-picked star. If I was to build some kind of wrestling Frankenstein to lead my 1980s booming wrestling company into the future, I couldn't think of three better things to excel at. For the fighting aspect, a black belt. For the agility aspect, a gymnast. For the show of it all, a bodybuilder. Who clocked in at 6 foot 5 inches, 275 pounds of pure muscle. Tom could bench press 573 pounds, deadlift 820, and squat 860 pounds. Not to mention, Tom was a hunk. You remember Hulk Hogan's more than receding hairline that we all kind of just forgave because, uh, well, I don't know, because he was just awesome? Well, Tom's flowing blonde curls were almost mocking that neon skull that the Hulkster was rocking. The year was 1986. Tom McGee had arrived in the WWF. He had been seen by and drooled over by Vince McMahon. How could he not be? It was time for a new superhero to lead the goodies of the WWF against the evil villains of Russia, Iran, and Uganda. And Tom McGee was it. Or at least he was supposed to be it. How could he not be it? He had it. Right? The formula was there. 
I mean, it was all put together in one amazing Manitobian package. McGee had put aside bodybuilding, judo, and gymnastics, amongst many other things, in order to enter the world of professional wrestling. McGee trained under Stu Hart, the legendary Stu Hart, and the buzz was so nice around Tom that his debut match was in the main event of an all-Japan show against Japanese legend Ricky Choshu. But on October 7, 1986, the WWF held a Wrestling Challenge TV taping at the War Memorial in Rochester, New York. 8,200 people watched the likes of Coco Beware, Hillbilly Jim, The Iron Sheik, and were even able to witness Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper tag together to beat Paul Orndorff and Cowboy Bob Orton. All of this was to eventually air on television throughout the United States and the world. There was one match, though, that, that didn't air on TV. That was a tryout match. A tryout match for Tom McGee. Tom McGee, who looked so impressive to the eye but now had to show that, well, he could hold his own in between the ropes. On that night, a young Bret Hart, who actually was the son of the man who trained Tom, was going to be his opponent. And Bret Hart is really the key component to this whole story. Bret Hart was known as the excellence of execution. While it might have been a nickname per se, he earned it by being really great at what he does. And that's pro wrestling. The art of pro wrestling, simulation of good versus evil, telling a story, making your opponent look good, even if it's at your own expense, if that's what the situation calls for. And that's exactly what this situation called for. Vince McMahon had asked Bret Hart to have a match with Tom McGee, the guy who he had hoped would look as good in the ring as he did out of the ring. There's a rumor that there's a rare copy of this match that's floating around. I, I personally, I've never seen it. Nobody I know has ever seen it. And when I was with the WWE in the late 2000s, we were allowed to request any match from the WWE archives. Any match. Anyone that we wanted to see. And every month I would put in my request, and every month I received all my requests on a DVD, with the exception of one match that they refused to put on there. And that's Tom McGee versus Bret Hart from October 7th, 1986. The story that's told is Brett asked Tom three things he could do well. Just three. Brett took those three simple things, crafted a wrestling match around it, sacrificed himself for the sake of the match, and even laid on his back to allow Tom McGee to be victorious that night. Tom McGee walked backstage with his first WWF victory. Vince McMahon could be overheard shouting the sentiments, that's my next champion. Who needs Hulk Hogan? That's my next champion. What a successful tryout match and what a successful debut. He had found him. Vince McMahon had found his man. You know, that man that would take over Hulk Hogan's position as the marquee name for the WWF and its growing empire. Tom signed a contract. He was put on the road, and plans were made to create their next big thing. Deemed Mega Man, Tom was a sure thing. Or, or was he? In January of 1987, Tom went on the road with the crew on smaller shows so he could keep a low profile and prepare himself for his big push to superstardom. The only problem was he wasn't having the same quality of match that he had against Bret Hart. Tom was wrestling guys like Terry Gibbs, Barry O, and Frenchie Martin. While all talented enough to be on the road as prelim positions, these type of performers weren't close to the same caliber of athlete, performer, or even psychologist as Bret Hart. 
And that's why Bret Hart really was the key. Bret, so good at his job, made Tom look like a million bucks. The problem is, there weren't any more Bret Harts out there. Tom, he continued to wrestle, and Tom's star, it started to fizzle. Tom's flaws came to light. At one time, he was asked just three things that he could do to look good. And now, feminine movement, lack of realism, and the lack of crispness that sets apart the good ones from the bad ones had started to make themselves eminent. Tom had matches here and there for the WWF all the way through 1989. He even had a televised match against Arn Anderson, who in the same category as Bret Hart was just unable to save what could have been. What could have been? The one that was supposed to be on t-shirts and lunchboxes. One that was going to have cartoons based on him and appear on Kathy Lee and Regis. Tom McGee. The one we, we just don't hear about. Invincible. Right now I'm with legendary wrestling journalist Dave Meltzer. Dave, when did Tom McGee first come on your radar? Well, I as I remember, I first heard of Tom McGee before he, he ever had his first match, and it was just that this guy who was, uh, you know, had won a World's Strongest Man contest, and he looked like a bodybuilder, and he was 6'5", 275, and I'd seen pictures of him and everything, and it was like, this guy was going to train um, for Stampede Wrestling, and immediately the Japanese uh, were interested, you know, as you mentioned, he, he actually debuted in Japan, and it was just like, they wanted to bring him in right away, and, um, and they actually brought him in too early, but the idea was to, to get him in, in a big match, and then eventually, like, like he would lose the first match, and but but then they would kind of rebuild him and everything like that down the line when he got more experience. How'd you first hear about the Tom McGee and Bret Hart match? There was a, a, a this, the lead sports reporter for the newspaper. There's a guy named Bob Matthews, and he was a huge wrestling fan. So he was at the matches that night, and he saw the Tom McGee Bret Hart match. So the first I actually heard was a story in the Rochester newspaper, probably the day after or so. So Vince McMahon and Pat Patterson, they're basically writing WWF television, writing the angles. After seeing just the one match with Tom McGee and Bret Hart, you think they were super confident in Tom McGee to be the next guy? When the match ended, the Bret Hart-Tom McGee match, they were both like, this guy's going to be the next champion. This guy's going to be the guy when Hulk gets old. This is the new one, and he's better looking than Hulk, and he's got a better body than Hulk, and he's almost as, as big as Hulk, and he's a ten times better athlete, and he was going to be the guy, and and the whole thing. Now, after he has the, the match with Bret Hart, it's not like he's going to go main event WrestleMania. How do you go about building Tom McGee into the next guy? I thought the idea was that they would put him on the road for a year, you know, in, in small towns on sea shows, you know, so the big cities wouldn't see him. And then when the time was right, it was, it was essentially the same formula they used for Ultimate Warrior when they first signed Warrior from, from Dallas. The idea was to keep him off of the off TV for a while while he worked house shows and, you know, got experience and they would debut him and give him this giant push. And when they put him on the road, it was just, it was just that obvious? I think I saw a house show match with him with Terry Gibbs and I was so disappointed because... I knew of, you know, this was after the legend of the Bret Hart match, and this would have been during the period before they had, had given up on him, but 
it was, but the word was starting to get out that maybe he really wasn't going to be the next champion. And when I saw it, it was just like, you know, I, I don't know what it is, but he just doesn't have it. And it's like, it's hard to put your finger on it because like you said in that thing, it's like every tool, if you could, if you could create a 1986 wrestler, that was the guy. I mean, the background, he had everything Vince McMahon wanted and he had everything the fans wanted other than the fact that once he got in the ring, he couldn't perform. Obviously, this match, like it, it isn't being circulated on YouTube or the internet and even amongst the tape traders, it's not really out there. Do you think the idea that only word of mouth of this match has led to this becoming such a fun tale in wrestling? Yeah, perhaps. But you know what? If you saw the match, I'm just telling you, if you saw the match, it wouldn't kill the legend. <laughs> Because, because I was thinking, you know, I had I had actually gotten a copy of the match years later, and when I did, I was almost like, do I want to watch this? Because it's going to just be like Brett carrying some guy, and I'm going to see through it. And then I watched it, and it was like, man, you know, I could see why, you know, Vince McMahon and Pat Patterson saw that because I, it was pretty much like the first time I saw Brock Lesnar do a dark match and that shooting star press halfway across the ring, and you just go like. Oh my God! You know, like a guy this big doing that—that—that that, that, that doesn't compute. So you've seen this match? When I saw the match, and it was obviously it was years later, and I watched this match and go, "Oh my God, this guy's like the greatest prospect I've ever seen." I could—he was throwing these awesome drop kicks. It was like like he was Brian Pillman, except he was six five and two seventy five, and he was he did flips off the turnbuckle and bent around off, and um, you know everything looked his time. Every movie did look perfect, and little did I, you know, the, the, I had already known by that point, and I'd actually seen it at one house show too, where where nothing he did look good. He was just like a. A guy who walked to the ring and looked like somebody, but then as soon as the match started, it was just like, God, there's, he's terrible. They wouldn't give it to me. I mean, it's not like they don't have it. I can, I know they have it because Bret Hart got it from WWE. I mean, even though this story is about Tom McGee, essentially, it's kind of a story about a match that shows what an amazing wrestler that Bret Hart was. To me, that's, that, that's the most impressive thing Bret Hart ever did in his career was that Tom McGee match because he fooled, he fooled everyone in the business. You know, and, and, and again, I mean, the, 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 the funny part of the story was, is that, that when they saw that, you know, the, the, you know, that match, they thought they saw the guy who was going to replace Hulk Hogan and they did, but it was the other guy. Dave Meltzer, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and helping out with this story. Yeah. Anytime. Dave Meltzer co-hosts the Wrestling Observer Live Wrestling Radio Show on Sports Byline Radio Network. He's also been putting out the Wrestling Observer Newsletter weekly since 1982. You can subscribe and find all of his links and information at WrestlingObserver.com. And follow Dave on Twitter at Dave Meltzer, W-O-N. This episode of the show is edited and produced in my lovely studio, apartment in Chicago, Illinois. Theme music is Invincible by Def Kev. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Cole Cabana. Listen to my free weekly podcast, The Art of Wrestling, where I sit down with a different wrestler each week in person in a different locker room all over the world to figure out the struggles and triumphs in their personal careers. ColtMerch.com is where you can buy a Colt t-shirt of the award-winning Wrestling Road Diaries series that I star in and produce. ColtCabana.com is my website where you can find all my links and even see what crazy part of the world I'll be wrestling in next. 
I also invite you to buy a t-shirt at ProWrestlingTees.com, supporting independent and fringe wrestlers all over the world. Thanks for listening to this episode on Howl.fm. I recommend past live Art of Wrestling guest Kyle Kinane's comedy album, Death of the Party. I also have an audio documentary on Howl about one of my many trips to the Gathering of the Juggalos. Or go listen to Mark Maron interview the President of the United States of America or me. I was on an episode two. Both, I think, equally great contributing to this world. This has been Pro Wrestling Fringe. For Colt Cabana, I'm Colt Cabana. Thanks. the body on Tom McGee looks like someone just took a chisel and chiseled out McGee Dale y'all this is Tony Rodriguez this is Carlos Santos this is Riza Licea and this is Oscar Montoya when our powers combine we are Spanish Aquí presents we have a brand new podcast here on Earwolf bringing you the best of the best of lo mejor of the Latinx comedy Join us every Tuesday as we chat about what's going on in our lives, Latinx culture, and ¿qué es lo que? Lo que no está picando. Lo que te pica. Don't worry, we'll tell you what that means if you listen. We'll also be joined by a new guest every single week. We'll get to know a little bit more about their lives. Every single week. Uh-huh. And then we'll make them sit back and watch us improvise their lives right back to them. Improvisation. <laughs> Spanish Aki Presents premieres July 16th. Subscribe now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Hola, Nesea. Spanish Aki Presents. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel.